at Palo Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Choose 18 months, no payments and no interest, or $300 off each window, $700 off a Pella entry system, and $1,000 off a patio door. Get details at PellaWI.com. Restrictions apply. See showroom for details. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So glad to have you with us. All right, let me start out with some silver lining and very, very dark clouds. Uh, stock market down again today. Right now, it's down 548 points. It was down close to 700 points not that long ago. Nasdaq down 274, and and it's been the last several weeks. Let's let's face it, it's been a, a bad time for the the stock market. Um, you had some all time highs that were hit in the early part of this year or late in last year, and first of all, it was inflation, and now it's what's going on in U- Ukraine, and it, and it's weighing heavily on investors doesn't mean that the market doesn't have sound fundamentals it just means that people get a little bit freaked out when you know you don't know what's going to be happening in the world and you look at the price of oil it's now 130 dollars a barrel or whatever and, and i know this must be starting to hit home because this morning as i was getting ready for the show my wife comes in and she just says What's going on in the market? And, and she never asks about money. But I think she was watching Good Morning America or something, and they just must have had a thing about how the stock market's down again. And, and I said, well, it, it, it's fine. It's just, you know, right now it's going through a correction. And once things settle down, who knows when that's going to be? I have no doubt that it's going to go up again. But but just for some perspective for people who, who may, may be freaking out and things, let, let's let's look at this. Right now... As I'm looking at the Wall Street Journal's report, the Dow Jones is about 33,000, 33,055 points. All right. Now that's down from its high that it hit a little over two months ago, which is 36,000. So yeah, it's down about 3,600 points. But here, just to give you some perspective, when Joe Biden was inaugurated, January 20, whatever that was, of 2021, the Dow Jones was 31,188 points. So to just give you some perspective, even after all the stuff that's happened over the last couple months, it's still up 1,200 points over it was where it was a year ago. Right. And so you got to keep in mind, and I understand that if you track your money on a daily or a weekly basis and you tune in and you see that it's gone down, okay, I understand that you see these daily and weekly swings. But again, if you want to just look at when Biden took office, just as a as a as a benchmark, and yes, it's down, you know, from the high more than ten percent. It's in correction territory, but still. You know, it, it's it's up over the same time last year. The Nasdaq, which is tech heavy, it's about the same right now. The Nasdaq today, it's it's at thirteen thousand forty. Um, when Biden was inaugurated, it was thirteen thousand four hundred sixty-one. So it, in the last year, it, it's down about four hundred points. But uh, again, you're, you're you're talking, you know, maybe two two percent. It, it's it's not like it's crashed. Now, if you want to again go back and figure out, okay, what was the Nasdaq's all-time high, which was about sixteen thousand? Oh well, you know, it's it's dropped fifteen percent or so from the all-time high. Yeah, but again. Stock market goes up, stock market goes down, so you always want to see it go up. But for people who might be panicking and freaking out, you need to have a little bit of perspective. But I know 
this wears on people, especially as people get older and people are figuring out, okay, I want to retire, and my gosh, look at this, gas prices are going through the roof, and we're paying more than $4 a gallon, and maybe more than that, and you don't know where this is going to end, and inflation is kicking in. I I understand it it wears on you a little bit, which is kind of the leading topic I, I want to start with, which is... The ultimate kind of first world problem, while many people are trying to figure out where they're going to get the dough to fill up their tanks with gas or where they're going to get the money to pay the rising costs for things at the grocery store, you have other people who have, well, let us say different concerns. Major League Baseball, which has already canceled the first seven games, and the expectation is if they don't get a deal done like right away, they're going to end up having to cancel even more games. And, of course, the big deal with Major League Baseball is they've got a $10 billion pie, and the billionaire owners and the multimillion-dollar players can't figure out how to divvy up the billion-dollar pie, which, in essence, the fans then get shafted, and in particular, all the people that, I don't know, work for $12 an hour at the stadium parking cars or selling programs or the people that work on commission selling, you know, beer or the volunteer groups that show up and, you know, work concession stands, they end up getting shafted because the owners and the players can't agree. So as frustrating as that is, you know, people are paying $4 a gallon for gasoline. People are trying to figure out, you know, how they're going to fill their grocery cart, and the players can't decide how to do- divide up $10 billion with the owners. Well, into that wades Green Bay Packer player Aaron Rodgers. Now, we're, we're kind of getting down to crunch time because tomorrow is the deadline that the Packers have to use their quote-unquote franchise tag, and, and that means Devontae Adams, the all-pro wide receiver who is scheduled to be a free agent, what the Packers can do is by paying him the average of the high five salaries or something, it's like $20 million a year, they can stop him from being a free agent. Okay, So there's, I, I, sus- I suspect that they're going to do that. They're not going to let just Devontae Adams you know, go away. But still, the, the big question right now is, what is Aaron Rodgers going to do? And I admit, this kind of set me off over the weekend. There was a, a report that the TV stations were carrying. Green Bay Packers quarterback Aaron Rodgers is truly torn about where he'll be next season, according to a report from NFL Network's Ian Rappaport. While many in the league expect Rodgers to return to the Packers, the recently crowned MVP is going back and forth on what he wants, including where he wants to play. And, of course, we we know that the Packers have gone out of their way to try to accommodate him. You know, they've brought in coaches that he has a relationship with. They've given him more control of the team. According to NFL.com, the Packers and Rodgers are working on a deal and having discussions. It would make him the highest paid player um, in the NFL on an annual basis. But he's still torn on where he wants to play next year. The decision is clearly not an easy one for Rodgers. Okay, our, our number, 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I admit when I saw this, kind of set me off over the weekend, as I was thinking, this is the ultimate, I mean, the ultimate first world problem. The Packers want to pay a 38-year-old quarterback who has been to one Super Bowl, 45 million bucks, and he's truly torn whether he wants to play for the team. 
truly torn whether he wants to play for the team. I sent out a tweet, and you can follow me at Wagner at 620, at, um, at Wagner at 620, Jeff Wagner 620. Um, and my note was, if I was a general manager, and I'm offering all this money, and I'm doing all these concessions, and somebody is truly torn whether he wants to play for my team, I had four words for the general manager. Time to move on. Our number, 855-616-1620. He's truly torn whether he wants to take 30 40 $45 million in today's day and age where you've got a shooting war in the Ukraine, you've got people, you've got refugees pouring over borders, you've got, I don't know, the most volatile situation since arguably the end of World War II, with the possible exception of the Korean War, and you've got a guy who's 38 years old, who's been to one Super Bowl, who's torn about whether he wants to take 30, 35, $45 million to play for the Packers. 855-616-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line, we discuss in a minute. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. This week's sponsor for the Jeff Wagner Home Improvement Showcase, presented by Great Midwest Bank, is Ridgetop Exteriors. With over 20 years in business, contact Ridgetop Exteriors today to build, improve, or repair your home. Get the Ridgetop Advantage today and call 414-244-9416 or visit them at ridgetopexteriorsmke.com. I, I, I admit... That I, I mean, it's one of the reasons I started off the program talking about the stock market's been down relentlessly. I understand there's people that freaked out about their finances. They're looking at gas prices and all those things. And yet you have the, well, some people are describing as the most despised figure in sports. I, I don't know if that's necessarily true. But it is a, a guy with some unique cluelessness who says that he's he's truly torn about whether he wants to play for the Packers. 38-year-old Aaron Rodgers, who's taken the Packers to one Super Bowl in all the years he's been here, is truly torn whether he wants to take 35 or 40 or $45 million to come back and play football for the team. I'm thinking, you know, if I'm the general manager and I see this, he's truly torn. I don't know, do I want to come back or not? It's like, you know, sometimes you've just got to cut bait and move on. 855-616-1620, Rich in Waukesha. Hi, Rich. Good morning. Um, good morning. I'd like to, uh, I'm sorry, good afternoon. Um, as far as Aaron Rodgers goes, I I tend to agree with that. He's the highest paid player in the NFL. They want to make him the highest paid player in the NFL, but he hasn't gotten it done during the playoffs. He has not sacrificed. And you, you know, you can say whatever you want with uh, Tom Brady and, and uh, in New England, but he did restructure his contract multiple times so they could bring in key free agents so they could win Super Bowl rings. Aaron Rodgers is and I have no willingness to do that. So it's mm-hmm. it's pretty hard not to think of Aaron Rodgers as just a professional entertainer in that bit. But um, I I also have a comment about baseball though, in general, with their strikes and their lockouts. I remember in 1981 when they had the season-long no games, and football replaced baseball as America's favorite sport. Mm -hmm. And then in 94, when they had another one, another season like that, I believe basketball moved ahead of baseball as as a favorite sport. 
And frankly, if they do the same kind of thing this year, I would not be surprised that soccer moves ahead of baseball. Yeah, Rich, Rich thanks for the call. I mean, I, I, you want to talk about killing the golden goose, and, and that's what, what I try to offer on this program is some perspective. Uh, appreciating what average people are dealing with and, and looking at the headlines on a daily basis as you see people whose lives have been upended and they are fleeing from shelling in in their country and you've got all this uncertainty that's going on in Europe and things of the like and, and you've got baseball players and owners who can't to figure out how to divide $10 billion. <laughs> Just, it's staggering to me. And then you have some prima donna football player who's incredibly talented, but is clearly at the end of his career, who's apparently truly torn. Well, gee, the Packers have done everything possible, and you're offering me $30, $40, 45000000 million, whatever stupid amount of money it is, and you have a guy who's, well, I don't know if I want to play for the Packers. At some point in time, you know, you'd like to see somebody start giving – I don't know, a swift kick figuratively in the pants to some of these pampered, overpaid athletes who apparently do not appreciate what it is. Um, (laughs) um, Let's see, we're we're being swamped with text. Jeff, Aaron Rodgers, who cares anymore? Let him go. Can't get the Packers through the playoffs. Overpaid whiner. Jeff, bye-bye, Rodgers. Thanks for your service. Don't let the door hit you in the backside on the way out. Jeff, Rodgers is always very talented and also is obviously very talented and also a petty little brat. He may be 38, but he acts eight. He pulled this stuff last year. He's doing it this year. He'll do it next year. At this point, I just don't care about him any more. Jeff, offer him the farm. Then if he walks away, we can say we did everything we could. They did offer him the farm. My goodness, they offered him the farm and the neighbor's farm and all the farm equipment. I mean, you know, that's it. Jeff, $45 million. He doesn't heal people or teach children. All he does is play a game after which he will never have to work again. Really? And he's, and that's what, and he's, and he's truly torn on where he will play. That's what's kind of frustrated. Jeff, Aaron Rodgers needs to go. The Packers have to stake a take a stand whoever our next quarterback is the fans will still fill lambeau um let him go jeff aaron Rodgers is not worth being paid the highest amount of money for a quarterback i would trade both of them and move on um well i don't know about that um but the the, the point of this is uh, well, here's one of our texters. I don't care about the drama. I want to win. Jordan Love isn't the answer. Pay the guy. No, you misunderstand. They're paying him, and he still is torn about whether he wants to come back and play for Green Bay. Most people in a rational, sane world, if somebody offered you a million dollars, much less $45 million, a million dollars to come and play a game, to be an entertainer, most people would say, where do I sign? Let, let's go. But Aaron Rodgers is truly undecided whether he wants to come back to the player, to the Packers when they offer him $45 million. Infuriating in its arrogance. Look, I don't know how this whole thing is going to play out, but I'm going to tell you, if the Packers decide enough is enough, they decide to save the dough, they decide to cut their losses and send Aaron Rodgers to Denver or wherever else, fine. Hope he finishes his career well, but you know what? At some point in time, it becomes important to move on. And one of the things that has always really – I've got many weaknesses as a person. I'm the first to acknowledge that, but ingratitude is not one of them. You'd you'd think that 
maybe there would be a little bit of gratitude for all the Packers have done to make Aaron Rodgers rich beyond the dreams of avarice, a guy who will never have to work again, who, if he has children, those children will never have to work in a day in their life. If those children have children, Aaron Rodgers' grandchildren will never have to work a day in their life again. You'd think that maybe there would be a little bit of gratitude that at the end of his career, they're offering him $45 million. But no, he's torn on where he wants to play. Give me strength. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. You know, when I was thinking about this Aaron Rodgers story over the weekend, I, I was thinking about the different jobs I've had o- over the years, and I can think of at least three very, very talented people, and, and don't try to guess who they are. This isn't necessarily from radio. Three very, very talented people that I worked with o- over the years who all, well, the phrase I'm going to use because I can't say the word that comes to mind on the radio is they all they all butt-headed themselves out of jobs. They, they were talented, but they just... They became more trouble than they were worth. You know, they were they were whiners, they were complainers, and in all cases, management went out of their way to try to accommodate the, these people, and, and and it never made them happy. They were they were never able to to satisfy the demands, and they just finally they just wore it down. They they wore people down, and, and ultimately, these three people all you know were, were told to. Take your box of future endeavors and, and go, you know, look somewhere else. Or they, they left in a little bit of a huff. And for all three of those people, and, and it wasn't a surprise because I thought this was going to be the case at the time, but none of them, none of them accomplished what they would have accomplished if they had stayed where they were. If, if they hadn't become such a pain in the you-know-what that they had to sort of force themselves out, if they would have just been able to keep their mouth shut, play the game for a little bit, and, and not be such a butthead, they would have achieved so much more than they ended up achieving in their careers. I can think of at least three people like that. And I was thinking about that story with Aaron Rodgers. He might think the grass is greener. Trade him, send him off somewhere, and, and then you know if he's able to accomplish things, that, that's great. But don't be surprised if it doesn't work out. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Oh, okay, let's let, let's have a little bit of a history lesson. And I, and I want a show of hands. Saddam Hussein, the, the former president of Iraq, who was responsible for the invasion of Kuwait that led to the first Gulf War. So that that Saddam, I'm sorry, Saddam Hussein. That that Saddam Hussein was ultimately he was deposed and he was caught tried for war crimes, and he was hung in in 2006. Is there anybody who thinks that the world was not a better place with Saddam Hussein out of power and not in it? Anybody? Can I see a show of hands there? All right. Osama bin Laden, you know, the al-Qaeda leader who was believed to be, who was responsible for the the attack on on 9-11-2001, he was caught and killed by Navy SEALs in in May of 2011. And that that operation was heralded, because because again, is there anybody, can I see a show of hands, is there anybody who thinks that the world was not a better, safer place with Osama bin Laden out of it than, than in it? And I understand that that seems harsh, but at the same time, isn't it true? It isn't that just the ultimate truth? Which brings me 
to the controversy that is going on now. Vladimir Putin has launched Russia into this war of conquest. This isn't a war of self-defense. This isn't a war over, I I don't know, um, attacks. This is not a retaliation. This is a guy who has decided that he wants his legacy to be restoring the the former restoring the former Soviet Union, the USSR, and so you you have him moving into Ukraine. One of the things that's also very apparent is that they over they underestimated the resistance that they were going to get from U- Ukraine, and now that this hasn't just been a walkover, and now that the Russian army hasn't been viewed as liberators, now what you're seeing is it's turning into the siege mentality, and you see civilian casualties that are mounting. You see the Russians firing missiles into nuclear plants, you see the Russians shelling, you know, urban areas in an effort to try to create terror among the Ukraine population. And I think, I mean, the term being thrown around is Putin is a war criminal. I I don't know that's, I don't know what people are ultimately going to decide, but in this case, what appears to be sort of the indiscriminate murder of civilians in a war of conquest, I don't know if, if it's not... If he's not a war criminal, it, it'll, he'll do till the next real war criminal comes along. So that's, that's the basis of it. And I, I think th- there's a lot of people who believe that as long as Putin is in power, he is going to continue to push this war of aggression, in part because he, his ego won't allow him to acknowledge that, you know, we, we've started this thing, we've turned Russia into an international pariah, we have no choice but to continue, and we're going to threaten nuclear attacks on other places in Europe or wherever. So, I mean, that that, that is Putin. So into this mess comes Senator Lin, Lindsey Graham, who is a Republican from South Carolina. And he gives a speech on Thursday. Well, first of all, he goes on Sean Hannity's show on, on Fox News, and he says... Look, he says, here, here's the deal. He said, you know, um, I, 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 he would like to see the Russian people rise up and assassinate or overthrow Putin. He said, is there a Brutus in Russia? Is there a more successful Colonel Stauffenberg in the Russian military? That's the guy that, that tried to kill Hitler by putting the, the bomb. It's the, Tom Hanks played the character in uh, the movie Valkyrie. You know, they, they tried to assassinate Hitler by putting the bomb under the table. It didn't work. Graham says, the only way this ends is for somebody in Russia to take this guy out. You would be doing your country and the world a great service. And then, you know, he repeated that the next day. He said, the Russian people are not our enemy. I'm convinced it's a one-man problem surrounded by a few people. So he's saying, hey, wouldn't it be great if he's overthrown or if somebody takes him out? Well, now you have all this hand-wringing. There, there's people on both the right and left saying, oh, this is terrible. And, of course, the Biden administration says, that, well, this is not our, our position because, you know, we don't call for the assassination of world leaders. But, you know, it isn't... Isn't what Graham is saying what everybody is really thinking? I mean, in the real world, don't you think that the people in Washington, D.C., and the people in the military in the United States, and the people in NATO, and the people in Ukraine think that, well, look, we don't know for sure what is going to happen if Putin's gone, but you remove Putin from this equation, and 
chances are things aren't going to get worse. Our number is 855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Again, the, the, the reaction by, by many people, oh, and it's all this pearl clutching and people are offended. Well, how, how dare Lindsey Graham say that, you know, the, the easiest, quickest way to end this is if he's deposed or if somebody takes him out, a la, you know, a la Julius Caesar. Okay, you know, should should Graham be criticized? Is it should we criticize him because he thinks it, or because he says it? And as a practical matter, isn't that really what most people are thinking? You remove Putin from the equation, and it becomes easier to resolve this mess. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. What do you think? We discuss in a moment. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. See, I'm intrigued by this story because there, there's all the, this this outrage that, that's out there. Oh, I can't believe Lindsey Graham said that, that he thinks somebody should take out Putin or, or depose him or, or go Julius Caesar on him. And, and people, oh, this is, we just don't say these things. And you know, nobody would call for the assassination of a world leader. And, and my question is, well, wait a minute. Isn't... Isn't that what people are really thinking? I mean, you, you can say, well, we, we shouldn't say it out loud. So are people upset with Graham because he advanced the concept of, of, boy, wouldn't it be great if somebody took out Putin? Or is that what really people are thinking and we're upset because Graham actually said it out loud? Um, Jeff, if everybody's thinking that way, then why does it even need to be said by anybody? Lindsay felt he hadn't been in the headlines lately? Well, I, I don't know. But... It, the, but is, is that, okay, well, that, that's somebody who doesn't like Lindsey Graham. Jeff can't agree more on the statement about taking Putin out. That's the only way out of this. He won't change his mind and leave and say, oops, I made a mistake. The U.S. is hoping someone internal to Russia takes him out. Hence the oligarch that put the million-dollar bounty on his head. Jeff Putin is a dictator who's living in his glorious Russian uh, past. He needs to be stopped now, and this doesn't end until somebody does. Jeff, of course most people would like Putin to be gone in whatever way. However, that is not something world leaders can advocate publicly. Oh, okay. And, and I guess so the, then... I guess the question is, is why? If that's what you, we, so it's now, what, it's politically incorrect for the senator to say that? Is that it? I mean, was, was there anybody out there when we said, hey, we're going to try to take out Saddam Hussein um, or catch, capture him? Okay, is there anybody that thought that the world was not a better place with Saddam Hussein out of it? Osama bin Laden, and I understand Osama bin Laden is, is different than, than the leader of Russia, but I just, I mean, I raise this question because I'm seeing all this angst, and I'm especially wondering whether people are, are serious about that. I mean, are they really offended? Jeff, we can't control our thoughts, but we should be able to control our words. Advocating murder as a solution should never be part of the public narrative. Advocating murder as a solution should never be part of the public narrative. So, and again, I, I, I always try to resist references to Nazism and Hitler's Germany and things like that because they always break down. Advocating murder as a solution should not be part of the public narrative. Okay, seriously, if in 1942, you know, as the war in Europe was starting to flare up from the United States perspective, if somebody said, boy, you know, if, if somebody took out Adolf Hitler, the, the war would end a lot quicker, and this we could save the, these huge humanitarian costs. Advocating murder as a solution should never be part of the public narrative? I mean, really? 
Um, really? Jeff, just like Saddam and Ben Laden, Putin needs to go by whatever means necessary. He is a menace. Jeff, I'm as liberal as the day is long, and I agree with Lindsey Graham. I also think it was immensely stupid and possibly damaging to the U.S. to say so publicly. All right, well, that's a whole different story. But, but then, at, at least... Maybe we should be upfront about why we're upset about this. Jeff, I have to admit, I'd already thought about this. Putin needs to go. Um, you know, maybe it's the wrong way of thinking per my upbringing, but the truth is, I thought it. Chris in New Berlin. Chris, you're on WTMJ. Hey, good afternoon. Um, specifically, people seem to be missing something here. It's not an assassination attempt. The country is at war. A soldier on the ground, a captain, colonel, a general on the ground, they're all legitimate military targets. As the head of the military... He is a military target. It is legitimate to try and go after a legitimate military target at time of war. And if that stops the war, all the more reason to focus on him as an asset as opposed to, you know, dancing around it. Well, well, yeah. I mean, I, I guess you're right. When, when, you, when you launch a war of aggression like this and you have hundreds, probably thousands of citizens who have been killed in this war of conquest where you have over a million and counting who have now been dispossessed that are fleeing for their, their lives. Yeah, you're, you're right. Try to tell anybody in Ukraine that this isn't a war. <laughs> and, 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 and right, they're, doing, they're, I mean, hoping any, they're hoping somebody steps up and, and ends the war. If the Ukraine could bomb the Kremlin building, that would be a legitimate military target. They're on the defensive right now, but that's a legitimate military target during a time of war. So is the, the head of the military, Putin. Yeah. yeah. No, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. And look, and, and I guess I, I understand that this is world leaders do not call for, you know, the, the, the murder of other world leaders. But, you know, we, we already know, at least if you believe the reports, that Putin himself had sent hit squads into Ukraine with an effort to, to try to take out the president of Ukraine. If you don't think Russia is trying to kill him, well, I, I'm sorry, my advice would be make sure you, you duck your shoulder when you would fall off the turnip truck. Because I think one of the things Russia is looking at is trying to break the, the morale and the fighting spirit of people in Ukraine, which is why they're shelling civilian you know, cities and things like that now. If you don't believe that Russia, if they could figure out how to do it, would take out the president of Ukraine, I, I think you've got another thing coming. So Lindsey Graham is simply giving words <laughs> to what lots and lots of people are thinking. Now, I, I don't think it's productive for Biden to say that. And, I, I mean, yes, so I wouldn't expect it coming from Biden. And I guess, you know, could you argue whether this is something that you say behind closed doors? But I just, I, I love this this hand-wringing and this pearl-clutching because Lindsey Graham says this publicly. And now everybody's just so appalled. How can we say this publicly when you know darn well that's what everybody is saying Privately, Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner. I mean, I just, I, I again, I, I understand that maybe there, there's things that you're not supposed to say publicly, and, that, and that, that's fine. But I do enjoy seeing, I guess, all, all this angst and this pearl clutching and this hand wringing. I mean, if in World War II, Franklin Roosevelt would have publicly said, you know, we, we, we need to figure out a way to, if the German people would rise up or the military would revolt and kill Adolf Hitler, take out Adolf Hitler in some way. All right, would, would people be offended by, by that? Um, or would everybody say, yeah, of course, because, you know, you, you take out Hitler, you, you end the war. And again, I understand that whenever you use parallels to Nazi Germany, but and you never know 
you know what's going to happen in the future i mean that's the law of unintended consequences all i don't think i don't think you know if, if they would have been able to remove hitler in 1942 or 1941 i don't think you know we would have had the war the world have to go through what it went through for four years uh, i mean russia you know who knows if putin steps down or is deposed or something else happens to him who knows exactly what happens and you could argue it could be worse it could be better but right now if you're on the ground in ukraine i think people would have a tough time arguing and how it could be worse I'm just saying that this is people. Lindsey Graham is getting all sorts of heat for verbalizing what I think lots and lots of people are saying, which then makes me wonder again, with like we do with so many things, are people really offended, or do people just have to pretend that they're offended for whatever reasons? Um, Mike Pence over the weekend, he's. Um, it's very, very clear that he's made the decision to break with former President Trump. Um, he's giving a speech, and you know his his speech says, "Look, you know we we've got to move on from the 2020 election." For people out there, including the former president, who says that Mike Pence could have done more and could have refused to certify the vote, Pence says, "Look, here's the deal: we will never see eye to eye on that." We will never see eye to eye on the Capitol insurrection on January 6th. And more importantly, in a speech he gave Friday night, he says, look, there is no room or there should be no room in the Republican Party for apologists to Vladimir Putin. And he didn't mention Donald Trump specifically, but, you know, he he did say, you know, um, where would Russian tanks be today if NATO had not expanded the borders of freedom? And keep in mind, President Trump was one of these people who was arguing that maybe we should have pulled out of NATO, which would have been a disastrous uh, move. There's no room in the GOP for apologists for Putin. There is only room for champions of freedom. Um, he went on to say, elections are about the future. My fellow Republicans, we can only win if we were united around an optimistic vision of the future based on our highest values. We cannot win by fighting yesterday's battles or by relitigating the, the past. And I, I could not agree more. It's the same thing that I've been saying for months and months and months. And it's also the advice that I would offer, if asked, to some Republicans in, in Wisconsin you know, this year, which is you've got to move on from the 2020 elections and the election was stolen and we need to look at decertifying the results. No, no. As I've said before and I've said repeatedly, I think you can argue that there were some what I will describe as best practices that were not followed. There are questions as to what the law allows and what the law should allow and we have every right to say hey we need to clean this up and we need clarification and we should pass laws that that accomplish these things but having said all that the, the bottom line is for everybody who wants to spend time relitigating 2020 that that's that's a loser strategy what we need to do is be looking forward whether you're a republican or a democrat you need to be looking forward as to okay november of 2022 and look at all the issues we have and we have the world ablaze and we have inflation through the roof and we have problems at the border we have all these different things what is the vision for the future and just like generals make mistakes by always fighting the last war, politicians make mistakes by fighting the last election instead of saying, we got to move forward. Speaking of that, a lot of great stuff coming up on the program. Don't go anywhere. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 
Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the program. All right. In the last segment, we were talking about whether people are are legitimately offended and appalled that Lindsey Graham would say, you know, if somebody would take Putin out, that that's the easiest end to this solution. And so the question is, are they legitimately offended he said it, or is it just, oh, he shouldn't have said it out loud? But everybody agrees that that would be the scenario. Well, here here's another story that's sort of related to at least that that kind of question are we really appalled or are we just pretending to be appalled if you're a regular listener to this program you know that i have been carrying on on a regular basis about the out of control juvenile justice system in milwaukee what your chances of getting prosecuted for stealing a car are like one in ten your chance of getting caught, then your chance of being prosecuted are like 1 in 20. We also know, based on statistics, that about half of the cars that are stolen from the mean streets of Milwaukee are by people under the age of 16. It is a staggering number. If you look at carjackings and running from police, you will see a staggering percentage are being committed by by younger people. I mean, people who are, are juveniles. And the point that I have made about this is that we have a juvenile justice system that is stuck in the 1950s. It, it's stuck in, gee, the Andy Griffith show, and this is Mayberry, and that's Opie, and Opie threw the rock and it broke the window. And we don't want to ruin Opie you know, life by, you know, sending him off to adult court or publicizing his name. We want Opie to learn and have a chance to be rehabilitated. And that's all great. But but it's not 1959 anymore. It's not 1963 anymore. And what you have is an increasingly larger number of dangerous, amoral kids who are running the streets and endangering public safety, whether it's sticking guns in people's faces to take their cars or fleeing from cops because they think it's fun at 95 miles an hour or committing different assaults. And yet we bend over backwards to try to treat them as kids. The, the kid that shot up Mayfair Mall a while back, he, he's going to be treated as a juvenile. You shoot sci-fi people in a shopping mall, and the Milwaukee County Court System has decided we're going to treat this kid as a juvenile. I mean, I, I don't know. If you shoot 15 people, do you, maybe does that get you into adult court? Which brings me to the story of the 87-year-old woman who was kidnapped. Yes, she was kidnapped at knife point out in Waukesha. You will remember this story. It happened in um, outside the Waukesha Public Library about 1.30 p.m. on November 30th. 87-year-old woman is returning books. You know, they've got the, the, the slot that you put the books in. This fort, It turns out 14-year-old, originally from Milwaukee, who had recently moved to Waukesha, what he's doing out on the street November 30th at 1.30 in the afternoon, who knows, comes up to this woman. She's returning books puts a knife to her throat, threatens to kill her, and then forces her into her vehicle. She's in the passenger seat. He's in the driver's seat. At one point in time, while holding a knife to her throat, he tries to sexually assault her. 14-year-old boy, 87-year-old woman. She kind of fights him off. He then demands whatever money she has, takes her credit card, and then dumps her out. So that's the good news. Didn't kill her. Didn't kill her. Dumps her out. Tries to sexually assault her. Steals her stuff. Um, dumps her out on the street. She goes into like a middle school and reports the incident. They call the police. 
the police then come out. Um, they, they look. Ultimately, they, they find the stolen car about an hour later. The teenager is still inside. Um, predictably, he doesn't give up. He got out of the car, started running. Ultimately, Waukesha officers were able to catch him. Police said the boy had a knife and one of the victim's credit cards in his pants pocket. In searching his Waukesha home later, police found the victim's wallet, gloves, checkbook, garage door opener, and even some music CDs with her name on them. So this is not a whodunit. This is this is not a whodunit. At one point in time, while he's trying to assault the woman and holding her with the knife at her throat, the kid apparently tells the woman that um, if you tell anybody, you realize I'm the devil and I know where you live. If you call the police, I'll kill all your family. Okay, this this is not Opie, and we are not in Mayberry anymore. So here's the interesting situation to me. In contrast to what might have happened in John Chisholm's Milwaukee County DA's office, this is Waukesha County. And according to the Journal Sentinel, this 14-year-old Waukesha boy, boy who is accused of sexually assaulting the woman, the DA's office is apparently trying to move his case into adult court. There will be a hearing on this two days from now on on Wednesday. They're alleging that the severity of the crime, coupled with the fact that the victim is considered exceptionally vulnerable, warrants the case being moved into adult court. The boy's defense attorney will, of course, oppose this. Our number, 855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, let's tee this up. Is there 14 years old? All right, I get it. 14 years old, he abducted an 87-year-old woman, held her at knife point, tried to sexually assault her, and then, before releasing her, told her he's the devil, and if she tells anybody, he's going to come back and kill her family. 855-616-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is there any reason why this 14-year-old should not be treated as an adult? 855-616-1620. My answer is simple. If there's ever a case, and 14 is the youngest age for a crime like this. You can't wave every 14-year-old into adult court, but for a crime like this, you could. So if you leave him in juvenile court, he can be declared delinquent. He could be held under some form of confinement until he's 18, at which point in time he is dumped back on the citizens to wreak whatever havoc he will. If you treat him as an adult, he could be incarcerated initially at the juvenile detention facility, but then once he turns 18, he could be incarcerated as an adult for 5, 10, 15 years more. Do you treat him as an adult? or a juvenile. To me, this is an easy call. 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Look, I, I, I think this is easy. And, and I, I am not arguing that every juvenile who commits a crime should be waived into adult court. I, I acknowledge that there is a role for the juvenile justice system, especially with first-time offenders who commit what I will describe as minor sort of crimes. But once you have people who are repeatedly committing crimes, stealing multiple cars, and it's clear that what you're doing isn't working, I think you need to look at kicking them into adult court. And when you have crimes of violence, 
and crimes that are committed by use of a gun or a knife and crimes that involve sexual assault, particularly vulnerable people, that, that to me, it becomes an absolute no-brainer. And on so many levels, that's what's going on out in Waukesha. You have a 14-year-old who abducts an 87-year-old woman at knife point, tries to rape her, tells her if she tells anybody he's going, he's the devil and he's going to come back and kills her fa- kill her family, and he drives off with her car. All right, this... This is clearly a very troubled young man. There's no question about it. But if you're willing to do this, if you are willing to commit this adult crime, yeah, I think you have to pay an adult penalty. And for people out there who say, well, you know, you can't put a 14-year-old in Waupun, well, what you do is the the way it works, until he's 18, he's confined in a a juvenile detention facility, but assuming he gets, say, a 10-year prison sentence, which in my opinion would not be out of line, he then serves the balance of that sentence in adult prison once he turns 18. At some point in time, we have to start holding people accountable. Jeff, kids like this don't deserve to see the light of day. Well, he didn't kill her. He didn't kill her. So, I mean, I, I think you you treat it like that. But, I mean, can you imagine being the, this this woman, the, this victim? I mean, try to imagine if that's your mom or your grandmother. Try to imagine how, try to imagine how anybody comes back from this. These, you know, and one of the things, and I, I say this a lot, that I think the, the criminal justice system loses track of on a regular basis. We're, we're so concerned with the bad guy. We're so concerned with the perpetrator. Oh, we, this is a 14-year-old. We're going to ruin his life. And obviously there's some something seriously wrong if you do something like this. Yes, 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 that's it. But we, we don't think about the victims. You know, what about the person that was sexually, had the attempted sexual assault at knife point, who's abducted, whose life will never, ever be the same, and her family members? Can you imagine getting this call saying, oh, you know, your mom or your grandma was a victim of this, this crime, and she was abducted by a guy, and the car was stolen, and he held her at knife point and tried to sexually assault her? Can you imagine how that affects somebody's family? At some point in time, we need to start thinking about the victims and the people associated with the victims. We also need to start warehousing people who will do this type of stuff to protect other people from becoming victims. Jeff, you treat him as an adult. He didn't steal penny candy from the corner store. And considering this is what he's done at age 18, the thought of how his behavior could escalate is terrifying. Yes. Now, the thing I don't know is is whether I doubt this is the the kid's first time at the rodeo. I mean, I, I don't know because we talk about repeatedly juvenile records are sealed. So you, you can't find out what it was he did before this. Maybe one day he just wakes up, decides this is the day I'm going to grab the knife and go try to rape an 87-year-old woman, steal her car, and take her credit cards. Uh, maybe this was the, the first day you do it. I tend to doubt it. it. It strikes me that there was probably an escalating series of things leading up to that but I, I mean I don't know for sure and the problem of course is we we never we never find out because we protect juvenile records Jeff I think they have to move him into adult court um, I mean I think he needs some help a 14 year old boy doesn't make decisions like this without there being some sort of traumatic experience or chemical imbalance yeah obviously there's stuff going on that leads somebody to this because normal 14-year-olds 
I think, don't grab knives and try to assault, you know, um, 87-year-old women. But, of course, you could say that about a lot of stuff. Normal 14-year-olds, you wouldn't think, would think it's a game to go, you know, steal as many cars as they can and then drive 95 miles an hour through red lights trying to avoid police. And yet, that's it. Jeff, if I live in a community where someone like this was not charged as an adult, I would seriously consider moving. Not charging as an adult sends a dangerous message that consequences for those crimes are minimal or non-existent. Yes, which is why I think Milwaukee County has many of the problems that it continues to have. And I keep, I know I keep going back to this Mayfair case. You have somebody that, that starts shooting up Mayfair Mall, hits, I'll go back during the break and kind of double check, but I, I mean, nobody was killed, but I think five people were hit. Um, and, and he's going to be treated, it's a 15 year old who's going to be treated as a juvenile. Really? I mean, in Milwaukee County, you, you shoot up a shopping mall and you can't even get treated as an adult. Jeff, I think this horrible criminal should be thrown in jail, even if we have to wait until he is 18 and switched over to jail. Jeff, of course he should be treated as an adult and put away for a long time. Um, Jeff, however, if we do that, it might prevent, if we do that, it might prevent him from becoming a lifelong criminal, having some type of public confrontation with law enforcement. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I look, here, here's the bottom line. You, you want to try to do everything you can to I don't know, hope that given the fact that he's 14, at some point in time he's going to get out of prison, whether it's four years from now out of a juvenile detention facility or whether it's 14 years from now after being released from prison. You hope that the kid can turn his life around. But you don't know that for sure. And in the meantime, you've got to punish him for what he did. And, dare I say, you have to protect the rest of us from turning this kid loose back out on the streets with another knife or a gun, and God forbid he decides this time I, I'm going to try to abduct somebody, but this time I don't want to I don't want to leave any witnesses, so I'm going to take that next step. That's what we have to start doing, protecting ourselves from the predators who are out there, even if those predators turn out to be fourteen or fifteen years old. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Back for more. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Yeah, that story from Mayfair Mall, and, and in fairness to the Milwaukee County DA's office, they, they tried to waive the kid into adult court, and one of the Milwaukee County judges, who is obviously more concerned with, I, I don't know, uh, appeasing certain segments of the community than she is with protecting law-abiding citizens, decided, no, I don't think it's in the interest of the public to waive the kid into adult court. Um, this It happened November of 2020. You might remember this. According to the report, police were alerted that there were shots at Mayfair Mall. Seven injured adults, one injured teenager transported to the hospital. Um, the, the, the good news is that nobody... Nobody died as a result of this, but this was a situation where apparently what happened is, I don't know if it was kind of gang-related and the kid was part of one gang and saw members of another gang and started to shoot indiscriminately, and um, you have some people from the gang that were shot and other other people who weren't associated with the gang who ended up getting shot as well. But uh, in Milwaukee County, the judge in this case says it's the best interest of the juvenile or the public for the juvenile court to hear the case. Now, how in God's green earth 
It can be in the best interest, certainly of the juvenile, obviously, because, you know, in all these situations, the last thing you want to do is be held accountable like you might in adult court. So it's obviously going to be in the best interest of the juvenile to stay in juvenile court. But you do ask this, this fundamental question of, in Milwaukee County, if, if, you, if you shoot up a shopping mall, seriously, and, and shoot eight people, and that's not enough to get you waived into adult court, what do you have to do? No, don't answer that question because we're not going to like what the answer is. But it's just another one of these examples of how the juvenile justice system is a mess. The way you have the courts that apply it might be a mess. But there, there might be a, a telling difference between Waukesha County and Milwaukee County when it comes to holding young people accountable for adult crimes. We'll, we'll have a better indication of that um, later on this week. Okay, so true, true story. We were having people over a couple days ago, and um, one of the people we were having over is a vodka drinker. I, I don't, I don't drink vodka. I mean, it's not. I, I, I mean, I guess I'll have Bloody Marys and stuff, but I, I don't, I don't drink vodka. And we didn't. While we had all sorts of liquor in the house, we didn't have any vodka. And so my wife says, "I got to go out and get some vodka because you know they're, they're they're coming over." And she said, "Well, but my question is, I don't want to buy Russian vodka." Because you know, with all the stuff going on, the last thing I want to do—I know it's a—I know it's a small statement, but I don't want to buy Russian vodka. Here's the interesting thing, though: only about one percent of U.S. vodka imports actually comes from Russia. And the truth of the matter is, the vast number of the, the most popular vodkas are in, in the United States. They—they aren't—they aren't in fact from from Russia. Now, one of the things that caught my attention was that apparently um, they're, they're changing Solzhenitsyn brand. They're calling it Stoli instead. Stoli isn't made in, in Russia, even though some people might think that that's the case. So my wife is saying, okay, what, I just want to make sure I know which ones to avoid. And I think we settled on Tito's, which is made in Austin, Texas. No worries there. But it is interesting. People backing off on vodkas because you don't want to patronize you know, the, the Russians. And, and while that's a, a noble spirit, again, the truth is there's only about 1.2% actually of the vodkas that are sold in the United States are actually made in Russia. So bottom line is, if you want to drink vodka, don't worry. You've got lots and lots and lots and lots of other choices. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Was the penalty too harsh? Journal Sentinel reports on this. And, I mean, right now you've got the um, high school basketball championships and state championships are are starting to, you know, get underway. Here's the way the Journal Sentinel reports this. Uh, St. Thomas Moore, which is that they play their Division Three. They're, um, what, on like 26th and Morgan on the sort of the south side of Milwaukee there. Um, very, very good basketball team. They were 22-3. and three. They won the Metro Classic Conference regular season championship. And they were, well, what, what happened is on Friday, that the games were to get to the state tournament. The games were Friday and Saturday. So Friday night, they're playing a game. Um, and if they against Fuller Collegiate Academy, and if they win, they advance to the sectional finals for the chance to go to state. So they're they're way ahead. So what happens is there's about a minute left in the game, and they're ahead by 30 points, 82-52. So they're they're going to advance. 
what apparently happens is that a fight breaks out. And I've watched, I've kind of watched the videotape of this. What happens is you, you've got a, a player from Thomas Moore who's trying to dribble out the clock. I mean, there's a minute left. They're, they're winning by 30 points. And the guy from the other team is kind of like all over him, trying to pressure him, trying to get the ball back. The Thomas Moore player passes the ball away and then kind of falls to the ground. And the defender, the kid from the team that's losing, kind of steps over him and, and sort of trips over him. Well, what happens then is they both get up, and the Thomas Moore player comes up from behind the other team's player, pushes him on the back in the back because he doesn't like the fact that the guy kind of tripped over him, and then they end up face to face, kind of jawing at them. At that point in time, okay, so there it's the end of the game. They're jawing at each other. What happens is two people from the Thomas Moore sideline. Um, one, including one player, jump on the court to try to pull their teammate back. Just stop it. Move away. Within five seconds of the play being blown dead, the other team's sideline, including players, are seen heading towards the skirmish. At that point in time, you have fans who start pouring onto the court behind the coaches and the players. Now, it looks like this is one of those things where like, lots of people are trying to grab other people and stop you know, getting the fight, some rush from the court from the other side of the gym where the Thomas Moore players are. So, you know, more people take the floor. Journal Sentinel reports a handful of skirmishes break out in separate pockets on, on the gym. A um, couple players got got punched because, again, people are, are throwing punches and things like that. All right, so the rules are that you are not allowed to leave the bench. And if you leave the bench, what happens is you you are you're going to be disqualified and you're going to be suspended for at least a game. So that that's what the rules are. And there's no question because this whole thing blows up. There's no question that a lot of the Thomas Moore players they 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 leave the bench and the coaches are trying to de-escalate this. And in fairness, I think if you look at the video, I think a lot of the kids are trying to kind of de-escalate this. But everybody's off the bench and you've got this big brouhaha. Well, what happens is that the referees declare the game a forfeit. They award the game to Thomas Moore. They were ahead by like 30 points after all when, when this whole thing happened with a minute left in the game. But the problem is, you know, because these players all left the bench and then are subject to suspension, Thomas Moore doesn't have anybody that can play the game the next day. So all these players are going to be suspended, and essentially the choice was you can go ahead and try to play the game with junior varsity players, but but that, that's really your, your only choice. There, there's no, we're not going to delay the Saturday final game to allow you guys to, to appeal and to argue that you should be allowed to play or something like that. It, it's just, boom, this is the situation. So Thomas Moore ultimately decides, even though they've had this great season, that they are going to, to forfeit, and their season comes to an end. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here's, here is my question. It, these, the, the high school kids, you know, work, work all year to reach the, this point. You know, you're going to try to qualify for the state tournament, which is, in fact, a, a big deal. This is an incident that happens at the end of the game that is an extremely unfortunate incident, and it was 
clearly made worse by the fact that you had all these fans that decide that they're going to bum rush the court, at which point in time you've got the players who, it's not like the players are throwing chairs and things like that. It does appear to me from the video that the players are trying their best to de-escalate, but they all leave the bench. And they're all in the middle of this thing, and the rules say you can't leave the bench. 855-616-1620. Was it too harsh to effectively end the team's season by saying because of when this happened? And again, if this had happened in the middle of the season, it it, it would have been a big deal, but not that big a deal because, you know, okay, so you, you forfeit the next game, and then everybody gets to play. This was, you know, one of the state qualifiers. Was this unfairly harsh to the high school basketball team? 855-616-1620. Tell you where I come down on this, and we'll discuss in just a minute. The O-U-N-E-T dot com. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Jeff, if you were describing this accurately, if the Thomas More kids were trying to break up the fight, then it's an unjust ruling. The WIAA dependably gets these judgments calls wrong, including letting players charged with crimes play in the state tournament a few years ago. Yeah, I remember that one. Yeah, in this case, the, the Thomas More coach says, if you look at the video, and I've, I've watched the video, he says that the, you know my players were not throwing punches. My players were, yes, they got off the bench, but they're, they're, they get off the bench in the context of, Team, the other team is rushing the floor. People from one side of from the the stands are, are rushing the floor, and you've got this full scale like melee that's going on. And it's unreasonable. I think the argument would be to expect my kids to stay on on the bench. What you need to do is you need to look where the agitators or whatever, or are they suddenly in the middle of this scrum? Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Um, where's my? I have um. I have an email from a uh, have a, one of the texts from a, uh, a referee. Um, but first, let's talk to Mike on the South Side. Mike, you're first. Good afternoon. Yeah, hi. Thank you for taking my call. I was sure. at the game, and it was a very hard fought game. Are you there? Um, yeah, go ahead. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can. Okay. Go ahead. You're I was on. at the game, and it was yeah, it was a very hard fought game by both teams. Now, the, the the problem that we had is, just like in all basketball games, the refs try to do as best as they can, but calls are calls. Now, the way things went that night is for every one foul they, they uh, called on us, they missed three fouls on the other team. The other team played the night before and whooped the living daylights out of that other school by 80 to, 80 to 30. I think they beat them by like 50 points, so naturally they were riding high. They played what I consider street ball. They try to play like they do in the NBA, where a lot of hand-checking, climbing all over guys, mauling you, doing all that kind of stuff. That's the way the game went. They had one guy in particular, uh, number 10. He was very aggressive. And if you watch the full videos all the way through to the end, uh, there's one guy in a red jacket that just kept wanting to come back and keep doing things after the game was over. But uh, it's true. Uh, the rules are the rules, but it just doesn't. I did not see the video. I mean, I, I missed the whole thing. I was sitting right there. Uh, it's, it's just a travesty for for the school that this happened. On the other hand, I feel that the coach should have known better to either try to control his guys, which is hard at that time, but he should have known the rules too. But 
it doesn't put it past me to have second thoughts that the other coach was a little smarter and he knew that, hey, we're getting blown out of here. Maybe if we start something and we continue, these guys can get tossed out of the tournament, and that could be, you know, something that happened too. I'm not saying that's what he did, but when you look at when you look at what happened and you were there, it was unreal. The kids on the Thomas More side, the school students, sat in their bleachers. They did not come out on the floors. And if you follow the videos, once they broke broke them apart. Their team went back and tried to initiate another fight, and they did it again when they were walking towards the lockers. Now, I think all of that stuff should have been taken into consideration when they did an evaluation, if they so chose. But they did not. So here's what happens. We got screwed. It's I'm sad for the boys, and I'm sad for the school. The other team, they played hard. They, they, I give them credit. They played hard. But, you know, this, this, this is a sad outcome as far as I'm concerned. Thanks for the call, Mike. I appreciate that, and I appreciate the perspective. Here's a um, one of our texters, Jeff. I'm a WIAA basketball official. I've watched the video you're referring to at least a dozen times. What bothers me is that no official blew a whistle or called a foul when this thing broke out. A strong whistle and a forceful call on the first push, and the whole thing could perhaps have been avoided. Having said that, I think that St. Thomas Moore got screwed over. I believe this penalty was too harsh. Jeff, I'm a high school basketball referee. I think there's no exceptions on this rule. Leave the bench, you're ejected, and you have to sit out. Coach should know the rule. Hold the kids back. I blame the homeschool gym management on this. Um, you know, what What can you say? The um, I, I guess I, I kind of look at this. Here's I, I think this is a harsh penalty. And if you look, if you look at the video, I, I think I, my my belief has always been, I, I appreciate that there, that rules are rules, and I understand that one of the, the the rules are, and it makes a lot of sense to me. You do not leave the bench, right? You, you don't leave the the bench, and that's the way of controlling things. Now, if you watch the video in this case, though, it, the, the kids from the Thomas More team, they don't leave the bench right right away. This is all happening kind of in front of them. It's only after this thing starts really escalating, and you at least that's the way I view it, when you have people from the stands that are pouring onto the court, it's very apparent to me that the referees and security, to me this is a problem with security. I mean, it's what, how can you just let all these people run onto the court? If this was just a matter between the, the players and stuff, you, you might have been able to control it more. So I understand there's this absolute rule. It would have, however, I think been refreshing in this case for, again, if the WIAA would have not looked just at the letter of the rule, but at least taken statements from the people involved and looked at the videotape to see you know what what exactly is going on here it's a lot to expect for example a basketball team when there's a, your player one of your teammates is involved in, in an altercation with somebody in front of you and then you have the other team that's rushing into this and then you have people from the stands that are rushing into this it's a lot to expect you know, people on a basketball team, okay, you guys just sit here while all this other, you know, heck is breaking loose all around you. Now, maybe that's an extenuating circumstance. Maybe it's not. 
What I guess as I look at this, it would have been nice if the WIAA would have at least taken a look at the videotape, and apparently they never did, and said, what what exactly is going on here, and what prompted this, and how reasonable would it have been to expect the kids to, to stay on the bench? Now, maybe after having looked at that, they come to the conclusion that, um, they come to the conclusion that, no, that these, these kids you know, should have stayed there. But, I mean, I don't know. I'm, I mean, look, I, I got used to riding a bench, you know, when I was in high school and things like that. And I'm trying to picture that if I'm in this gym and all of a sudden, you know, one of my teammates is involved in this altercation and next thing I know, players from the other team are racing out there and then you've got all these fans that are racing onto the court. I don't know. It's tough to say, okay, you guys just sit here and, and watch all this stuff going on. I would have at least, I think you would have liked to have looked at him and said, okay, what exactly happened here? Was there anybody that went on the court and threw a punch? We've got the videotape. Was there anybody here who was, you know, acting in an aggressive fashion that was escalating this? Or were the people really just trying to get their teammate and get out and get off the court? That would have been nice to see. Unfortunately, it did not happen. And one of our texters says, that's the problem. The WIAA didn't watch the video. No, they, they didn't watch the video um jeff the wia has a bias against private schools they have a track record of doing so also perhaps if a team is at 30 points or more the game should be stopped well i mean again if you watch this and you see what what's happening it's the last minute of the game that the game is over and it's true uh, thomas moore is just trying to run out the clock and I didn't watch the whole game, so I don't know that I can comment on what our caller Mike was talking about. But there is, there, there's no doubt that the player from the other team is being aggressive. He's bellied up to him. He's kind of pushing on him. He's trying to steal the ball. Now, I don't have a problem, I guess, with playing till, till the whistle. I mean, I, I, that's, I'm the guy who, whenever we have these stories about one team won by 25 and people get outraged, I'm saying, well, well, it's a game. But at the same time, it's clear to me that the other team was definitely – they were the ones that were the instigators in this. And I guess I feel bad for the Thomas Moore high school basketball team. I would have liked to have seen a little more discretion. And I understand that rules are rules. I, I get it. But maybe before you take the step of effectively tossing a team that's had a wonderful season out of a statewide basketball tournament, you know, one game before they have the chance to advance to state, you at least take a look and try to figure out what it was that happened here. And if you figure out, okay, the, these kids were all really in the wrong, that that's that's fine. But if you look at and say, well, what what do you what's reasonable for the kids to do when everybody else is running onto the court, maybe Maybe you want to use some discretion, but of course, the WIAA and discretion, those those concepts rarely appear in the same sentence. Back with more in just a couple of minutes. This is Jeff Wagner. And this is Jeff Wagner. So glad to have you with us. If you were wondering whether crime is calming down on the mean streets of Milwaukee, the answer is no. Here's the story, 11.30 p.m. on Saturday. Police investigating yet another hit and run involving a 65-year-old man apparently was crossing the street near 49th and Hampton, hit by a car. 
Um, the driver, of course, drove off. The man is in grave condition. Don't know if he'll survive or not, but it's just, you know, across the street, you take your life into your own hands. 49th and Hampton, and Hampton, of course, used to be one of the major east-west thoroughfares. If you were trying to get from the east side out to, you know, Wauwatosa or whatever, Hampton would be one you would consider taking. Now, consider taking your life in your hands if you're going to try to cross the street. And when it comes to shootings, um, over the weekend, three Milwaukee men shot and wounded in separate shootings Saturday night and Sunday morning around 10 p.m. Um, let's see. Police say a 29-year-old man arrived at the hospital with gunshot wounds from a shooting near Tetonia and Vienna. Shortly before 1 p.m. Sunday, 22-year-old man was shot while driving near 24th and Burleigh. He arrived at the hospital for treatment. 2.30 p.m. Sunday, 42-year-old man arrived at the hospital with gunshot wounds after a shooting near 56th and Burleigh. Police are again investigating the crimes. No arrests have been made. Go out Sunday afternoon for a drive. I don't know. Be prepared to end up at the hospital. That's what's going on on the mean streets of Milwaukee. Back with more in just a couple minutes. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. I started off the program by talking about even with what's going on in the stock market today, and it's been kind of this way for the last you know, month and a half at least. Dow Jones Industrial down almost 700 points today. It's still... A, a bit higher than it was when Joe Biden took office, just to pick a benchmark out in January of 2021. The NASDAQ is down, but not down from when Biden took office. It's not down dramatically, maybe like four or 500 points or something like that. It, not great, but it's not like the stock market is in a crash moment. But still, if you are an investor and you're somebody who's, or you're somebody who's getting near retirement or whatever, and you look at day after day after day of relentless losses, it gets a little bit frustrating. And believe me, I, I share that frustration. But still, if you look at the big picture, my, my sense is that once things settle down, I, I would expect that fundamentals are strong and once things settles down i think you're going to see like a big increase in the stock market just don't know when that's going to happen and for people who decide that they can't stomach this stuff and they pull out you end up missing those big increases when they rebound but i don't think that there's going to be a dramatic rebound until there is some clarity in what is going on in in ukraine and candidly there, there's there's not a lot of clarity that, that's here. You have, um, depending on the reports, I'm just looking at aggregator websites that I look at, Putin loses a 1,000 troops in a day. Victory not inevitable. Anti-war protests jolt Moscow with, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people being um, arrested, um, panicked crackdowns in in Moscow, and people talking about how they're, they're frustrated that they can't access, their, their credit cards are no good, things like that. Um, that there's there's pressure inside. At the same time, you know, Russia is, is still talking tough. Their statement out right now, warning of global collapse if the West were to send weapons into the war zone. There's um, the Ukraine putting on captured Moscow troops saying that, you know, this is we didn't know what we're getting into. We're sorry about this. But but at the same time, you have 
again, if, if this isn't a complete and total mess, it'll certainly do until a complete and total mess gets here. Meanwhile, the cost of oil, it's up. It's about $130 a barrel now, and there's all sorts of pushes as to what you should do. Should the U.S. stop importing Russian oil? And, and that's a no-brainer. The answer is, of course, the U.S. should stop importing Russian oil. It's 3%, but they won't. <clears throat> He'll be reluctant to do it because Joe Biden is reluctant to upset the activist environmentalists by doing what you also need to do if you stop importing Russian oil, which is to do a number of things that are available to him to increase domestic production. And, of course, he doesn't want to do that. So bottom line is you have situations where it appears that the, the Soviets don't have any intention of withdrawing. They are, are making demands which are just absolutely and totally unreasonable. They're offering um, they're, they're offering corridors that they say, okay, we're not going to shell if refugees want to go through them. But those corridors, you know, direct the people not to Poland and not to the West, but would force them into either Russia or Belarus or something like that. These things are all non-starters, and it looks like um, th- things are are every sides are hunkering down now for what is going to be a a long struggle. Our number, 855-616-1620. We talk about this from time to time because I, I, I'm intrigued by the whole question. All right, we, we are now into the second week of, of this attack, this assault. It clearly did not go, I think, as, as Putin planned in that it was going to be certainly not a, a great walk or a quick walkover. Now it appears more like a slog. What's the end game? 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. How does this end, and when does it end? What do you think? We decide. We discuss in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. Let's start with Tyrone in Milwaukee. Tyrone, good afternoon. You're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Yeah, hello. I just want to talk about the Ukrainian situation with you. So what do you yeah. think that we should do? Because we need a start. Oh, Tyrone? Oh, lost Tyrone there. We I think my notes said... Oh. Go ahead. We need to start putting the troops at the border. Instead of helping the Middle East, we need to help Europe. Okay, by putting by troops at the border, do you mean troops in Poland, or do you mean we need to send troops into Ukraine? We need to send troops on the border by the Ukraine. Because we over here helping out uh, Afghanistan, we need to be helping out the Europe, because we are America. Okay. Well, Tyrone, th- thanks for the call. I mean, I guess, I, I mean, for, first of all, we're, we're pretty much out of Afghanistan. That That's, you know, and that's, there are some people who would argue that our pulling out of Afghanistan emboldened Putin to do what he did. If you are saying that, you know, we, we should, as part of NATO, that we should have some more U.S. troops in the area in case Vladimir Putin were to, launch into NATO-protected countries. Well, I, I guess I don't have a problem with with that as, as a potential deterrent. If you're saying to me you think that we need to have boots on the ground in Ukraine, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm going to... I'm going to disagree with you. I, I, I mean, here, here's the reality. This is the problem you hear with the um, – when, when people talk about a no-fly zone, I don't know if, if folks understand what that means. Uh, a no-fly zone would mean that, that NATO 
would declare that no no planes over Ukraine. So if Russian warplanes are out there bombing or whatever, NATO would then take on the responsibility of going out and trying to force those planes out of the sky. Well, how do you force the planes out of the sky? You shoot at them. And so then all of a sudden you, you've taken Ukraine and you've now escalated this into a shooting war with the West, which is what they're, they're trying to avoid having happen. And they're trying to avoid it by helping supply arms to Ukraine, but essentially saying that this has got to be a, a Ukrainian effort. And I think th- there's a lot of merit to that. I, you cannot have U.S. troops on the ground in Ukraine. I, I think this is the wrong war at the wrong time. Plus, I, I think, actually, I think time is on the side of the free world and the West. And if you, the longer Ukraine holds out, and it looks like they're holding out right now, the longer it, it they hold out, the more untenable Putin's position becomes. And so I, I think there's there's an advantage to that. You 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 can't start shooting at Russian. You you can't have the U.S. or NATO. I think sh- start shooting at Russian warplanes because that raises this conflict to the next level. I again I firmly believe, and I'm not sure I would have said this two or three weeks ago. I think I think the war is going badly for Putin. I think time is on the side of the allies. The big question, and this is what I wrestle with with the end game, is as if as things get more and more desperate for for Putin, and he becomes more and more isolated, and the sanctions take effect and start to hit the the average Russian person, and they already are. I mean, the the, the rubles lost all this value. Credit cards are no good anymore. You you don't have you can't travel outside the country. There's no access to this. To there's no access to financial markets. The banks are closed. The stock market is closed. I mean, if if we complain about the stock market taking a hit. Today it's down um, over 700 points the Dow. And it, it, it's a bad day in the stock market, no question about it. But if we complain about that, can you imagine if you're in Russia and you're an average citizen and you can't get access to you know any, any money or anything like that? There, there's those elements as well. So I think time is really on the side of the allies. 855-616-1620. Jeff, it ends for us when we mind our own business. Who cares what goes on over there? Who cares what goes on over there? Well, I guess I would think that there's all sorts of reasons why we care what goes on. Putin takes over Russia and decides he wants to take over Poland, which is one of our allies. Do we just turn our back? Um, if you're looking at the effect of, of global economies, just again, the stock market, the Dow's down 700 plus points today, and that's following day after day after day of huge losses. If you think that just allowing this aggression to go on and it doesn't affect us. I mean, I understand that there's a sentiment that people have that believe, well, we need to be America first, and that means that what goes on in the world doesn't matter to us. Well, it does. I mean, this it is a global economy, and when you have an aggressor state like Russia that decides that they're going to try to move in and take over other countries and they're going to decide what's sufficient, well, I think the lesson of World War II is that you just can't allow that aggression to go unchecked, but you want to find that balance between helping the the country that's being attacked and not doing everything you can to escalate it. Jeff, the end game is Russia with a good chunk of Ukraine and China. Uh, with a, The end game is Russia with a good chunk of Ukraine. China just announced the new era of Russian and Chinese cooperation. Yeah, they said that on Friday, but I already think the people are backing off. Jeff, Putin will claim victory 
he controls the Russian media, and withdraw his troops when he realizes the war will be too costly. Jeff, what are we going to do if Putin gets pushed too far and launches nuclear weapons? I mean, as a society, do we start stocking our pantries? Well, I don't think it's at that point right now, and the, the truth is... Well, that's the unthinkable solution. You you just don't even want to <laughs> think about that. I mean, I, I think that if Putin were to try to take that route, you would you would guarantee that he he loses in a military sort of struggle. But the the cost would be just absolutely horrendous. So you got to hope that there's cooler heads that are going to prevail. Jeff, I think it ends when the Russian people rise up and remove Putin from office. I think that it ends. When either that happens or the cost becomes too dear, just like in Afghanistan it did for Russia. Remember, Russia was in Afghanistan for five, ten years, however long that was, and then ultimately they just they just got on their tanks and they just moved out. Now, Ukraine is different because there's a different historical connection, but even... Even if Russia were to take the big cities, I, I, this is what I wrestle with. What does that mean? I, I mean, you have, I'm, I'm reading several books right now on World War II and the German occupation of France and things like that. I was telling that story the other day. But it, it's, what, what does it mean? Okay, so you, if somehow you're able to move Russian tanks into Kiev and the, the government has to flee and go into exile so they're in France or, or, or whatever, what, what does it mean? It, it, do you think that the citizens of Ukraine are just going to roll over? I mean, this is going to be a, a long, long slog. I think a lot of Russian troops were conned into believing that they were going to be viewed as liberators, and, and that's just not the case. How does it end? I, I don't know. I, I don't think it ends soon. And the more aggravated Putin becomes and the more likely it is that the Russians are creating the war crimes by attacking civilians and things like that, the more the pressure rises on the West to respond in a, in a direct military fashion. I don't think they're going to do that, though. I do think the, these countries need to get together and recognize that Russia is, in John McCain's word, a giant, a giant gas station, not, nothing more. And the U.S. needs to shut off Russian oil imports, and Europe needs to start shutting off Russian oil imports, because candidly, while Russia is aggressive in this faction, where, where do you think the money is coming from to pay the, the military? That's the blood money that place, other places in Europe are sending Russia um, in exchange for oil. I don't know exactly what the end game is, but I, I hope it comes sooner rather than later, and I hope it's in a more positive I hope it's in a more positive light, but unfortunately, as long as Putin thinks he can get away with this and doesn't have an off-ramp for diplomatic strategies, I'm not sure where we go. When we come back, we're going to find out what John McCure has on his mind. He's down at the auto show. Stick around.